This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 114. <laughs> I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Hello and welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture Goodfellas, 1, 6.30 a.m., bump at a time. I am <laughs> Josh Flanagan, I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Cocaine gets you up early in the morning, apparently. Hell of a drug. And Ron Richards. Hey, listen, it might be better than coffee. 
It's it well, the better relative, I suppose. <laughs> uh, joining us today is our special guest, television and film producer, and of course, mafia expert, friend of Henry Hill, expert. That's an extra word, David Uslan. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Josh using cocaine. It's late out here <laughs> on the where I live. I you know what? I could use some cocaine. Oh, Thank stop! You. Oh, wait! Oh, oh. <laughs> I wouldn't even know who to talk to. So this minute starts with Jimmy still crying. <laughs> really, he's having a hard time with this one, and it ends with a helicopter sighting. Yep. Oh, the famous helicopter. So to close the book on Tommy D and Henry's in as Henry's you know winding down the the the, the sadness, he he says that you know in addition to the greaseball shit. They even shot him in, in the back of the head so that his mother couldn't give him an open casket at the funeral. In real life, Tommy D's bo- Tommy D. Simone's body was never found. And in fact, he was declared legally dead by the FBI in 1990, ironically the same year this movie came out. Well, they probably saw the movie and they're like, well, I guess he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, Jim, Jim, look at this. Look at this. They solved their case for us. <laughs> and he's actually suspected to be buried at the quote-unquote mafia graveyard. Uh, it's by JFK Airport on the border of Brooklyn, Queens. Oh, is that that sunken town? Yes. <laughs> oh, seriously, that's the place that time forgot? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's where they believe he's buried, but his body has never been recovered. David, where is his body? Tell us where it is. I mean, I don't know, man, but that graveyard that he's talking about is, is uh, I mean, that was that was really a graveyard, man. I mean, there were, there were a couple main areas that, you know, some of the different families used that literally were, you know, 20, 30 bodies plus can be found at certain moments. Yeah. Uh, some serious shit, especially out where, like, major construction areas were taking place back in the, you know, the 60s, 70s, early 80s, when all that growth and expansion was happening in New York and all the boroughs and just was some crazy shit, you know. And over the last, you know, 10 years, they've been, you know, going back and digging up certain places and finding bones and stuff from, you know, hits that were taking place decades ago. Pretty crazy. It's funny because I was looking. I was looking on online at just ver- at various mentions of the mafia graveyard, and there it, it it comes up every now and then in the news. And there's like an old article on CNN from 2004 where they have they found skeletons of mafia captains, and they're talking about the area. And like you know, uh, authorities believe this to be a mafia graveyard. Like you <laughs> just hear like the the like the the real world trying to come to terms with what is going on there. Like it's just like it's. Kind of funny. So. Yeah. Mafia graveyard found. Yeah. <laughs> we not only close the book on Tommy, we close the book on the seventies. No. Yes. yes. Let us let us cut to Sunday, May eleventh, nineteen eighty, at six fifty five a.m. Very specific. Where Henry starts his day with a breakfast of champions. Hey, listen, six fifty five on a Sunday morning is very early. So my question is, is he just getting up? I don't believe. He, is he still going from the from the night before? Still going. Still yeah, going. I don't believe he slept. Yeah. So it was also Saturday night, which was. So you want to hear? So in my personal opinion, this one second where it goes from the '70s to the '80s is, I think, my favorite single like second or two in this whole movie, maybe, and in especially historically speaking, you know, it's so abrupt the change. You immediately see the importance of narcotics in both Henry's life and what he's doing. It just all so changes so dramatically, and li- and that's that's what the early '80s was to organize crime, and uh, and I just love how Scorsese just so abruptly goes from one decade to the another, and in, in just the most jarring way, even with the music, with everything, 
yeah, I would like to, I would like to add to that is that we you know we we it, it ends on the the Tommy dying scene ends on a close up of Henry with his hand to his mouth and just kind of thinking and then it goes black and then we get eight seconds of title card Sunday May eleventh nineteen eighty six fifty five a.m. eight it's an eternity wow. when I watch this again like, <laughs> right like it is it is a long hanging on that date and time I mean it's perfect and then we get the close up of you know, a bunch of cocaine and, and Henry Snort, you know, close up of Henry Snorton cocaine at seven in the morning on Sunday and a gun. Here's some fun facts about cocaine. Let's see what we recognize from this character in this film. Oh, the short term side effects of cocaine are paranoia, anger, hostility, and anxiety. Yep. I, didn't, I don't see any of that. And the long term side effects for someone who uses it a lot, as Henry's character here does, is psychosis and hallucinations. Yep. Yep. So all traits we see displayed in this film when tommy died it's january 1979 right okay so now this is may 1980 so he's had a full six months later no a year and six months later a year and a half well, year and a half later 79 he, he disappeared january, january 79 yeah and this is may 1980 oh, you're, right, you're, right, you're right you're right yeah so so one can presume this has been a year and a half of straight cocaine use well it was even before that yeah, yeah, even yeah. before that. I would think that the narcotics use is the only explanation for the horrible shirt that he's wearing in this entire scene. <laughs> you don't like the shirt, Ron? I did not like the shirt. This shirt, this shirt, this shirt, this entire outfit reflects the weird time period between the late 70s and early 80s where fashion was just not very good. And, and it wasn't going to get any better. Yeah, we're entering a dark yeah. period now, Ron. Yeah, it's a very dark period. I, I find... Quite sad myself to listen to you disparage him like this, and I know that it's deserved. But you've yeah. just you've been a fan of his his clothing for so long that to watch this happen is just it well, really, more painful than the drugs. What really gets me about this shirt is that I mean, because the the pattern, the stripes are all right, the material looks okay, but it's the bottom part that where the, there's almost like a, a the, the 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 stripes are going vertically, and then there's a bottom part that where the stripes go horizontally is like a border almost. It's like the belt. Yes. It's like the jacket's belt. Yep. I love this jacket, by the way. All it needs oh. is a giant, like, I'd rock that with a giant gold star of David and uh, <laughs> and, and, and grease back my hair, and I think I'd, I'd, I'd look pretty baller. 1980. There for it. Coming yeah. back. It's coming back around. Oh, God. Well, the, the minute starts with him wearing a sweet purple shirt that he wore. It is a sweet purple shirt. It is a very, that is a, the, the, that is a nice outfit. That is a nice outfit. He's still wearing that classic nice shirt, dark suit look he's been rocking for a while. Yep. And now we cut to the, officially into the 80s, cocaine-addled, questionable shirt-wearing, yep. red-eyed Henry Hill, who's yep. got a little bit of stress going on. Speaking of substance abuse and decline, let's talk about Harry Nilsson. <laughs> <laughs> This segment starts off and we hear uh, the beginning of Jump Into the Fire by Nilsson, which is the, uh, or Harry Nilsson, is the third single off of Nilsson Schmilson. <laughs> no, it's not. I swear to God. That's the name <laughs> of the album, November 1971. Just so you know, the follow-up album of Nilsson Schmilson was Son of Schmilson. <laughs> not a joke. That's not awesome. Not a joke. That's awesome. Jump Into the Fire is listed as number 84 on Pitchfork's top 100 songs of the 70s. Well, they have no idea what they're talking about. No, they do. It's an excellent song. It's a bad this is, the, this, is uh, this was a big song for Nilsson, too. It's funny because we don't talk about Nilsson all that much anymore. He was almost forgotten. There was a documentary in 2006 that came out called Who is Harry Nilsson? Why is everybody talking about him? That really goes to explore like who he was and what a big deal he was uh, to that sort of rock music scene in the 70s. And it's really interesting that we don't 
he's not referred to in the same sort of way as as you know Lennon or or Keith Moon or any of those guys who were going around. But he was a big part of that scene, and this song was one of the hits that he had uh, early in the seventies. And there's like there's if you get, went to the Nilsson songs, uh, there are dozens of them that you're like, oh that song, oh and that song, and that song. But that's not what I want to talk about. Because this is a great song, and I know it. One of the things that stands out about it is there's actually a drum solo in the middle of the song, which is not all that common with a pop song. Do you know who the drummer was? John Bonham. Jim Gordon. The, what? the police commissioner. Uh, remember we talked about Jim Gordon before? <laughs> I, I, I vaguely remember Jim Gordon with Derek Jim, and the Dominoes. Jim Gordon was the drummer for Derek and the Dominoes. He also co-wrote Layla, and he, meaning he, he wrote the coda of the song that we were just listening to. Right, so this is and before he, he, he joined the, the police. Piano. Before he joined the police academy. Right, this is still a young, just out of Chicago, gonna, Jim Gordon. I need you to let me get through this. Okay. Wait, wait, okay. I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Does he, he have? Did he have a mustache yet? Does he have the mustache? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna need you to let me get through this because <laughs> you are going to. This is this will be significant for you. All right. Okay. Okay. So Jim Gordon is the drummer <laughs> and piano player on Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, that we already heard. Correct. Yeah. He's the drummer on this song. Okay. He was a protege of Hal Blaine of the Wrecking Crew. Famous wow. drummer. Played on a billion session records also. Play, is, uh, is featured on Pet Sounds. Drummer on Lennon's Imagine. I believe that he was the drummer on uh, Instant Karma as well. And automatically, if you say that, you can hear it. You can hear the drums in this song and that. It's the same guy. Also, a song that's going to be coming up. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this. George Harrison's What Is Life. He's the drummer on that too. Wow. So is there some sort of Jim Gordon unifying theory here? Hold on. Okay. Do you know where Jim Gordon is today? He's Commissioner. on a rooftop, probably. With a He's a fairly prominent rock drummer in a very big scene at this time. But in 1983, a psychotic episode associated with undiagnosed schizophrenia caused him to murder his mother with a hammer. When He was, sa- he was sentenced to 16 years in prison where he remains to this day. <laughs> wow. Wow. First of all, hold on. Why hasn't yeah. there been a Jim Gordon movie? I don't know. Wow. This seems like prime movie material. I just want to say that we went through all of the extras and the people in the different scenes, and they all had their stories, and it turns out the drummer on about a third of the songs in this movie has the most gruesome story. Whoa. No, no, those two cops that murdered uh, people. But that's amazing. We need to option this story. David, let's do this. It doesn't end well. Uh, as, as most recently as 2014, there was a parole hearing, and he was convinced that his mother was still alive, and they were like, no, you killed her. Why isn't he in a psychiatric facility? He is. He is in a psychiatric facility at this point. But uh, he's like a huge rock legend who is involved in all this stuff, and he's just completely gone. Jeez. Wow. Right? That's crazy. The list of songs that he is involved with is mind-blowing. What kind of sound did you make when you found all this information out? I was so excited, and that he was still <laughs> named Jim Gordon. <laughs> I mean, really, and I, 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 here's the thing. I love this song. Like Specifically, like this is my favorite Nilsson song. This is the song that made me look up more about Nilsson and like watch the documentary and everything. Like, it's a great rock song, and it doesn't sound anything like any of the other songs he ever did. I mean, this is an album that includes "Lime and the Coconut." I mean, like it's just like a a, a, a hokey calypso song. Like he's all over the place with this stuff, and he just decided Whoa. to do this screaming rocker that that you know that Paul McCartney kind of always wanted to do but didn't. Oh my God, I'm looking up him right now. That is crazy. Yeah. When you Google Jim Gordon, which Jim Gordon do you think you find first? I'm going to guess it's the Jim Gordon drummer. No. No, it's Jim Gordon. Police Commissioner Jim Gordon. Yeah, it's Gary Oldman. Uh, James Beck, Jim Gordon. Interesting. Wow. Huh. Well, there you go. 
That's fascinating. Good job, Josh. Well Thank done. You very much. Well done. You can have a seat for the rest of the show. I got to do the. Wow, I'm just look, I'm, I'm looking at the whole li- his discography. It's just insane. Yeah. yeah, I mean the fact, the very fact that he was the protege of Hal Blaine says everything you need to know. Because if you know anything about that stuff, then you know that guy played on everything. Oh, dude, he played drums on the on the Muppet movie. <laughs> Come on! Oh my God, that's amazing. Jackson Brown. You're saying he's animal. He might be animal. <laughs> ah. That's impressive. Good job. Good job, Josh. Wow. I, that's, did, that's a, I just looked it up. So, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> I just read Wikipedia. I don't know. What... So also, so building off of that, this minute uh, gives us the, towards the end of the minute, gives us the introduction of one of probably the most popular supporting stars of the movie, the helicopter. <laughs> it's true. Which I do have to admit, to give to Henry's credit, so this stars Henry's kind of paranoia about a helicopter following him. And this is the first, you know, he's, he's walking out to his car. He's put, putting stuff in the trunk and he looks up. There is a very low flying helicopter for 7 a.m. I want to also point out how early those cop shift must have began. Right. Yeah. They got up early and that's right. the. Yeah. No, they're midnight to eight. That's their tour. Midnight day men? Midnight day men. They're midnight day cops. It is a very low-flying helicopter. That's all I'm it's saying. a bunch of angry people. Where's he living at this point? He's in Rockville Center. Very angry Rockville Centurions right yep. now, wondering why they're awake at 6.55 on Sunday. This is the same house. This is the house with the metal wallpaper. This is the original house with the, with the wall that opens up, although I imagine by this point the wall is broken and is just permanently open. Yeah, it's permanently open. No, it's halfway closed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a source of unending stress. <laughs> all right. Well, well, I, I, I can tell you that Henry lived very, very well. <laughs> Don't tell us anything about the wall. Up until he was incarcerated. Did he ever tell you anything about the wall or the wallpaper of his house on, on Long Island? <laughs> if I remember correctly, he always had a funny response when anything came up about, like, furnishings and shit. Like, you know, it was all the women in his life. You know, he didn't, he didn't really care about any of it. <laughs> I'm surprised. Yeah. But it was a tractable stone wall <laughs> with a TV behind it and a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Well, he liked the women in his life living well. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't have anything else for this minute. I'd love to hear about David's experience with uh, the movie, though. Before you met all these people, in the, when, when did you first see the movie? When did it make an impact on you? To be honest with you, I mean, I... Uh... There's a couple, so there's a couple interesting things here. So the movie didn't have an impact on me, honestly, until I probably got into college or before. Now I've seen it before, but I didn't really fall in love with it. I guess until I was in college. That's a common thing we're hearing. Yeah. Now most of the films, though, that I watched when I was younger, because I still I loved mob history ever since I was a kid. I, I loved history in general. Like, when I was over at my friends' houses and shit like that, we would be watching Godfather, and we would be watching Godfather 2, and we'd be watching some of the classics. We didn't really watch this one, per se. This was this was always on the list, but it wasn't, it didn't, I, I feel like, come close to, like, the way everybody looked at the Godfather. But I, when I really started diving into the history side, and really started reading up on it, and, and when I got into college... And, uh, and again, starting to use my relationships to really dive into that history, that's when I became a big fan of this film because of everything that this film tells somebody about the history of organized crime. And again, from the beginning of this movie to the way that this movie ends, you're really tracing the 
dominant period of time that organized crime had its grip over America. And it's such an unbelievable arc from the beginning to the end that it's just, it's, it's captivating. And it really shows you so many different things. So I think when I started to like really read into the history and all that stuff, that's when I became much more of a fan of this film. You know, to be honest, I like the, the ones that are a little bit more <laughs> glamorizing of the mob. You know, I love Casino. Casino and, and I think Godfather are my two favorite mob movies. All right, well, we got to go. Sorry, David. <laughs> but, <laughs> Thanks for joining us. <laughs> but, but, this, uh, but this was great. And again, I think that you saw into characters and into, you know, what real life mob guys are. This movie did a much better job at showing that than I think almost any of the other mob movies in this caliber. That's what we've, we've, we've talked about it a lot when we've discussed, you know, like I, I prefer this movie over The Godfather mainly because I like this to me feels the most relatable of all, all them all because this is all real shit that happened around us as we grew up, you know, and, and as great as operatic and well, dramatic as The Godfather is I don't relate to it as much as I relate to this movie. Hold on, hold on so let's see. You were almost three years old as this scene in the 114th minute starts. Yes, yes. Almost three. Yes. <laughs> so I suppose it's true to a certain extent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I was vaguely aware at three I'll that be, something was up. <laughs> I'll be honest. I was born in Rockville Center, so I was a little closer to the action than you. Well, true, true, true. Well, well. The, I was the, there during this time, too. The thing that got me was that the um, was that the the well I don't know if we'll talk about this now or whatever, but this whole scene happened in real life, uh, or this whole day happens in real life because Henry had a 19 year old kid from Comac, Long Island, who was selling drugs for him, and he was the link to the police for them to zero in on Henry. And I at this time I was living in Comac on Long Island, so. And I'm pretty sure when I when I got really deep into this, when I got really deep in high school and and read Wise Guy and then really looked into it, I'm, I, I vaguely remember and I can't back this up with any facts or anything like that. But I believe that the the kid the the kid the, the drug dealer from Comac that led them to Henry, I looked up and he actually lived in my neighborhood. There you go. <laughs> this is a lot of stretching going on. A lot yeah. of stretching, real lot of stretching. But listen, Comac was lovely. <laughs> it, was a great, it was a great town to grow up in, at least until I moved to Northport, which was a much nicer town to grow up in. <laughs> now, David, is this a movie that your friends are all into? Your friends from growing up, or the, are they all? It's Scorsese, man. It's Scorsese at his best. You know, the, everybody's everybody's got respect for all of these films now. I mean, they're just they're they're amazing films in and of itself. You know, I can't wait for Scorsese's next film. It's going to be the final swan song for all these guys when they do I Heard You Paint Houses. But it's like any of any of them, are, you know, all, all of these are just fantastic, fantastic films. So what about the mafia guys that you've befriended over the years, including Henry Hill, but other guys as well? Do they enjoy these films? Do they, do they think they're funny? Because, are they, they're, they inaccurate? I mean, are they, do they have a favorite? You know, I, I've, I, you just hear a wide variety of responses to these films. But generally speaking, everybody loves these films. To a certain degree, a lot of these films have influenced, greatly influenced the current generation of gangsters that are out there. Whether it is Italians or other ethnic organized crime groups. Like the 
Albanians or the Armenians or the the Russians or they all mirror this stuff now, you know, because they it just does such a good job at glamorizing it. I mean, when you see the first half of Goodfellas, you know, you just to a certain degree, you know, want to be there with them and want to live that lifestyle. You feel that a lot with Casino. You feel that a lot with Godfather. You know, that's the best thing about these films that, you know, they're just, they're, there's so much of them are so glamorous. But Goodfellas is the first one, though, that really shows you with, with where it starts now in this minute and continues, shows you the dark side. It really shows you the dark, dark, dark side of, of this business and, and, and where it went. And when you throw in drugs and when you throw in certain things, it all goes to hell. And, and actually, I think that, uh, I think that, that that portrayal of that descent into hell, I think, is used nowadays. And people have respect for it to see what you shouldn't do and to use it as a cautionary tale when they think of Henry and what happened to all those guys and how, you know, organized crime itself crumbled for that decade of the 80s into early 90s because of what narcotics and drugs did to to everything. And, and again, this is the first movie that, that really I'm aware of and on a real grand scale that showed that part, that showed the unglamorous side of everything. You know, so I, I think that there's a lot of things that different people get out of it. But the first, again, the first half of this film, though, when you see, you know, the old school, back in the day, the way things were... You can't help but smile, and anybody who comes from that life or who's a fan of these films, I think, you know, everybody feels the same way about, you know, that good first huge chunk of this movie and how they just, you know, glamorize for the most part, you know, the way things work. It was a wonderful time. So you're saying it's a how-to for criminals. <laughs> I think that, that there is very much a how-to that is associated with any of the great mob films. What I find fascinating about at least the first half of the movie, at least the, the, the period of the 1950s and 1960s, is that it was this rare point in the world where this could coexist, you know, where like they, th this was, you know, like like they were so used to the fact that the airport would get robbed that it was just common. Like we, we talked about it when the Lufthansa heist happened and the, the, the New York Times article reporting about it where they're saying, you know, airport robberies are not uncommon but this one was a big one you know like it was it was just so like it was accepted and it was in this time period where like i feel like you know organized crime really had a lot of heat on it in the 30s you know and that kind of you know the capone and luciano and all that kind of time period but then the war and then the expansion into the suburbs allowed this little pocket this little window of time where this was just standard operating procedure and it was glorious and then drugs ruined everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree with you now. Not that I'm glamorizing it at all. Because they're <laughs> criminals and they broke the law and they hurt people. And Josh. Just, <laughs> I didn't even have to. He did it, he did it for me. <laughs> See that? It took 114 episodes. I've trained him. My job is done. Just saying. They would go to the Copa and it was a lovely night at the Copa. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Any fucks? Fuck count zero. <laughs> all right. No fucks. So that is going to do it for Minute 114. Tune in tomorrow for Minute 115. Until then, check us out on Twitter, GoodfellasMin, and on Instagram and Facebook at GoodfellasMinute. You can find all of our episodes over at GoodfellasMinute.com. If you like what we do, you can go over to GoodfellasMinute.com slash support. There you will find a link to our Amazon affiliate link there, and you can use that. And then uh, we get a little taste of what you buy. Super easy to do. You should probably just bookmark that. 
trust us. You know, don't, don't worry about it too much. You can also find a link to patreon.com slash GFM where you can uh, you can contribute directly to this show in this amazing new entertainment economy that we're in where you can say, I value what they're doing and I want to I wanna help chip in because I want them to keep doing things like this. So again, go over to patreon.com slash GFM. And if you donate at a certain level, you are going to be eligible to get yourself a patron mob name. And that is what's going to happen on tomorrow's episode. We're going to be naming some more members to the uh, Goodfellas Minute books. So, come back for that, and we will see you tomorrow. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is up.